Hello and welcome to a time of edification with Caruso Ministry. Get ready to be edified and equipped to edify others. Ready? Let's begin. Colossians chapter 3, Colossians 3 from verse 1 to 3. You see, one of the responsibilities of every trainer, every disciple, or every man of God as they were, is you, you, you have to learn to prepare people all right and it's something you're going to need to learn as time goes on you have to learn you have to learn to prepare people do you understand so for example you know the 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 um pharisees came to meet jesus and they said something he said your your disciples don't fast they don't fast and then jesus said something to them jesus said see he says when the bridegroom is around all right you know, the, when, when the master is around, the people, are the um, servants as they were, do not need to fast. They don't need to disturb themselves about anything. He says, but listen, a time is coming when they are going to fast. All right. And what that means is in the way Jesus trained his disciples or the way he trained his apostles, he trained them in such a way that there were a lot of things he did that he did not necessarily because of that time, but because of what was coming. All right, because of what was coming. Okay, and so you find now in the apostles that even though there were certain times when Jesus didn't expressly give instructions for certain things, they could pick up some things from the things that Jesus had taught them, either from the things he said or from the things he did. So for a very good example, Jesus, for example, starts his ministry 40 days and 40 nights. He's in the wilderness. The night before he picks his disciples, the Bible says he prayed all night to God. Now, Jesus is about to leave, and all he tells them to do is starting in the city of Jerusalem, Till you are endured the power from on high. We don't find any clear cut instruction where Jesus says to pray. No. He just says, Tari in the city of Jerusalem. And Tari means to stay. Tari doesn't mean to pray. Tari actually means to stay. But now he tells them to tarry. But what do they do while tarrying? They decide to pray. Why? Because they had seen a consistent attribute of whoever trained them, who in this case was Jesus, that whenever a major assignment was to be done, all right, as regards their spiritual destiny, they knew that the response to it was prayer, all right? Now, I said that to say that, you know, there, there are said, now, now would be a very good time to test the things that you have been taught. Do you understand? Now is a very good time to test what you actually know, what you actually believe. Are you together? You know, now will be a good time to know whether of whether or not you actually believe that your source is not is of God and not any man. Because it's going to show in the things you say, it's going to show in the things you post, it's going to show in how you behave, it's going to show in your predisposition. Do you understand? On a day like this, we greet you, you're not shining your teeth and stuff like that, you're looking all gloomy. We can tell. Do you understand? We can tell from the way you are doing. We can we can tell what your true convictions are. Are you with me? And so as a trainer, you now have to take up the responsibility of always preparing your, your people for stuff. Do you understand? Beforehand, you must have set some things in place so that when certain situations arise, they will know how to behave accordingly. Because listen to me, if you fail in the day of adversity, doesn't matter that the curriculum for preparation, you have never gotten to that point. The reality of it is still that your strength is small. It doesn't matter if in your training curriculum, you know, because for very legitimate reasons, you covered from um courses one to courses seven all right but then course one to course seven sorry but then in course eight and course nine because of very legitimate reasons like your sister's wedding you couldn't show up for course eight it doesn't matter if the day of adversity comes and you need to be tested on course eight if you fail it even though you had a legitimate reason your strength was still small 
that's the reality at the end of the day okay so don't give yourself unnecessary excuses and we're going to talk about that today actually interesting we're going to talk about it a little bit all right today but look at colossians 3 and let me start from there colossians chapter 3 from verse 1 <clears throat> colossians 3 from verse 1 and i'll be reading to verse 3 colossians chapter 3 from verse 1 to verse 3 it says if ye then be risen with christ seek those things which are above where christ seated on the right hand of god it says set your affections on things above and not on th things on the earth for you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Look at verse 2. It says, set your affections on things above and not on things on the earth. All right? For you are dead and your life is hid in Christ with God. So meaning, because you are saved, because Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, there are certain implications for you. There are certain things that you can now do. And a good example of that is that you can set your affection. So listen to me. In today's teaching, you have no reason to be distracted. Yes, there's an election going on. Yes, results have been announced. Yes, a lot of things are happening. But listen to me. You have no reason to be distracted. Of the truth, you are alone. You are there wherever you are alone with your phone, with which genuinely you can be checking results as, you know, you are stylishly, as, uh, stylishly listening to the sermon to hear what I have to say. You know, and maybe time and again when I say listen to me now, then you pay attention. Listen to me. You are not helping yourself. You are not doing yourself any good. And guess what? You can actually set your affections. You can decide that for the next couple of minutes, I'm going to decide to listen to God's word and to pay focus to it from beginning to the end. You can and you should. Do you understand me? You can and you should. So we're going to start from there. So there's no such thing as, oh, I understand what's going on. You know, mm -mm. there's no understanding here. Here it is time to learn God's word. And as I've shown you from last week, and I'm going to continue from there, God must command your utmost affection and desire. He must, you know, I'm just going to say something in passing. All right. It, it was, it was, it was a realization for me yesterday. All right. I'm going to say it in passing and then we move on. <clears throat> we move into today's teaching. You know, yesterday when, of course, some of the results were being, you know, stuff were spreading around and then people were trying to get information. I was, now I got, I got back from where, of course, I went to vote and I believe that, you know, some of you did as well. And then when I got back in the evening, I was quite tired. All right. Quite tired. And then I was, my plan actually was I'll get home, I'll go and sleep. That was my plan. But then I got home. And then I just came to my workspace, all right? Just, just wanted to set up some things that I took away because I went out. Just set up some things and maybe, maybe check some messages online and, you know, get to sleep. And then I began to check up on election updates here and there, you know, stuff like that. And the same me who was tired as around 8 p.m., 9 p.m. thereabouts, was awake up until like around 1 a.m. Trying to find out information and as regards election. And something occurred to me very strongly. Ah! As I did it, I said, I no longer have any excuse to not pray because I'm tired. Because apparently, and then here's the genuine thing. I wasn't sleepy anymore. I wasn't. Like, my eyes were wide awake. And I was thinking, I said, ah, you know when you know that you set yourself up? I said, I, I no longer have any reason to not pray because I'm sleepy. Because clearly, my problem is not that I cannot stay awake despite sleep. Is that it's, it matters what it is I'm, I'm staying awake for. If I see something that is worth staying awake for, sleep will disappear from my eyes. That's just the reality. All right. And times like this, all right, while of course, I mean, emotions are high and stuff like that, times, are, times like this are times when you can genuinely tell yourself the truth. With the way you've stayed on election updates from, you know, yesterday up until now, clearly your problem is not inability to sit down to search for information. It's not that you are unable to look for resources online and actually study when it comes to biblical matters. It's that it doesn't grip your attention so much as these things. 
clearly your problem because the same you has found the same you has visited sites that you've never heard of in just a couple of hours because you've been checking information on twitter and checking on this and checking on that and then the same you says you don't know where to research for enough bible materials that's a lie research is not your problem the scriptures or the word of god doesn't just command your utmost affection you know i would always say this everything you can do in the natural well is a testament to the fact that you could have done better spiritually it's a testament all right so when 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 jesus tells peter i'm going to make you a fisher of men it's not because it's not because the word fisher of men is specific to christianity what jesus was trying to explain to him was the fact that you are you are used to being a fisher of fishes of course all right but now because based on that i can i'm trying to explain to you that listen the fact that you're a fisher of fishes is enough reason why you can actually fish me meaning whatever it is in the natural that you have some level of prowess in is actually proof that when it comes to god you can be good you can be really good at it all right so i said all that to just say pay attention use this kind of use this period to evaluate yourself is it is it really that i don't know how to evangelize or is it that i just don't send jesus it's the honest truth because the same you who cannot post about sermons that blessed you the same you has been shouting about your favorite kind everybody on your contact list knows who you are supporting but yet they don't know all right when monthly meetings are holding they don't know that's that your favorite sermon that you always go to when, whenever you're down they don't know it but somehow all right within a very short period they know some of you you've been under a particular person who's been discipling you or teaching you god's word for years nobody knows him but everybody knows your candidates who you barely knew six months ago so can you see the issue is not that you know it's not it's not really that you're not a loud person or that you are shy the issue is that you don't really send jesus that much the issue is you don't think jesus really affects your life that bad you don't think you are, it's, it's that serious a matter. It's just Jesus. It's just the gospel. Some of you, <laughs> ah, do I want to shake this table? Some of you are willing to cut friendships based on um, political ties, but you have always had problem cutting away the wrong friends that scripture says are wrong for you. And can you see? Your problem is not your inability to cut people off or to stay away from certain persons. Your problem is the fact that the gospel doesn't hold as much weight to you as politics does. All right, but I don't want to go too much into that. Let's just continue in our teaching for today. All right, and then, you know, we'll, we'll move on. So we have been on a series so far, Dear 21st Century Believer, and this is the sixth track. Open your Bibles with me. So Matthew chapter 22 from verse 36 to 40. Matthew 22 from verse 36 to 40. Matthew 22 from verse 36 to 40. We were examining, um, uh, uh, we're examining the leading of God's spirit. All right. What we've been doing so far has been trying to establish how the believer in the 21st century, in today's age, should actually conduct themselves. All right. And so we will look one of the things we're looking at is the leading of God's spirit. And I already you know laid some foundation on that last week. Okay, so let's just continue. Matthew 22 from verse 36 to 40. He says, Master, now, this was someone who came to meet Jesus. Master, what is the great commandment in the law? What's the great commandment in the law? You know, he, he wanted Jesus to give him some deep stuff. You know, tell me, what's that great commandment? And then Jesus says this. He says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. And I, I tried to really establish this to us last week Sunday. He says all. All. He must command the entirety of your affection. All. It's all. 
All is a very scary statement. All. Meaning no reservations. No if, but, or maybe. It must be all. You, mu you must love him with everything. So he says, love him with all your, the, your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. He says, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself on these two commandments, and God the law and the prophet. And then I try to explain to you how, you know, I said we're going to touch it maybe in some Carizo Bible conference later. How that, what you actually have here is literally a commentary of the Ten Commandments, of which the Ten Commandments are actually a summary of the laws. All right? But I don't really want to go into And then I try to now show you how. Go to Exodus 20 from verse 3 to 17, where you have the Ten Commandments. Exodus 23 to 17. So Jesus says that the law and the prophets hang on these two things. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, and then you love your neighbor as yourself. All right? So where does he say that? Exodus 23 to 17. So now we want to look at the Ten Commandments that Jesus says is summarized in loving God and loving your neighbor. Exodus 23 to 17. Exodus 20 from verse 3 to 17. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Exodus 20 from verse 3 to 17. He says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything. That is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. He says, Thou shalt not bow thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me, and keep my commandments. He says, Thou shalt not take the name of that, the Lord thy God in vain. For the Lord will hold him guiltless that will not hold him guiltless, sorry, that taketh his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy works, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou, thou shalt do no work, thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them is arrested on the seventh day wherefore the lord blessed the sabbath day and hallowed it so can you see that so far from verse 3 down to verse 11 everything that has been said so far have been things that have been said done towards god can you see that you know don't have another you know um god excites god don't you know he speaks about not commit not having an idolatry you know don't bow, your, bow yourself to another god don't create another image or an image of another god all right is it not interesting? Let me just say this, by the way. Is it not interesting that God says, do not create an image like unto me. Are we together? Don't create an image to worship like unto me. All right? I do not dwell in these things. A temple was created in Israel. And then Stephen gets on the scene, even though Solomon has said it before. Stephen gets on the scene and says, the most high dwelleth not in temples made without hands. And then at the end of the day, God decides that when he is going to show forth his image in the Christ, he does so as a man. If you understand the significance of this, pay attention to something. Every idol, every single idol comes from the image of a thing in the world. So you have idols that are created because of how the moon looks or how the sun looks or how this looks and this looks and that looks and so on and so forth. But then, in God's representation to man of how he wants to be seen, in the image, the visual image that he wants to appear to man, 
he decides that the image he wants to appear to man is the image of man itself. Because listen, Colossians 1 verse 15 says, Christ is the image of the invisible God. And I've explained that to you before, that what he's saying, while of course it means that Christ is a representation of God, it also means this, for a God that we cannot see, Christ is the one whom we see, and he clearly points towards this God. Meaning, of all of God's creation, if there was any creation that God wanted to use to represent himself to the world, he has chosen man. Hi. He has chosen man. So, God's, God's decision. So, now listen. When you read in Exodus 3, sorry, in Exodus 20, when God said, don't make any image to bow down to, to represent me. That's what he was saying. So, don't try to make, in, in your bid to worship God, don't create an image of the sun and then worship it because you want to worship me. He says, don't do that. But in the end, in the end when he's going to present to us the picture of him, in that creation, he decides to come within the person of man. Ha! So, of all of God's creation, God deems that if he will ever be represented in bodily form, he's not going to come as another sun. He's not going to come as another moon. He's not going to come as another sea or another ocean. No. He's going to come, in fact, he's not going to come as another lion or another elephant, as great as those things are. He decides if he's ever going to present himself to mankind, as a visual image by which they can understand that he actually exists, he will present himself as a man. That is how great he has even made humans become, not to talk of the new creation. Now, understand also that the new creation, who is an outlet or who is an expression of what we see in the Christ. So in the Christ, we see God in humanity, God as a man. We see in Christ Jesus, God who has taken up a form in front of us, such that when we see Jesus, we can know that, oh, of a truth, God exists because he lives now as a man. And now remember that he has now made this thing not only peculiar to Jesus, but has spread it forth. He has brought many sons to glory by his spirit. So meaning, as we look at men today, as, be, as we see believers today, all right, we can see men, and when we see them, we lift our hands up in glory and say, glory be God. Glory to Jesus. We can see men today, and because they have the Holy Ghost in them, we can see them and say, this is the abode of God. And look, now we, we no longer need to give worship to God by things created. We can see the new creation now and say, wow, how great thou art. Are we together? So the things that God commanded them not to do in Exodus 20, we can actually see the new creation today and lift hands to God and worship. Are we together? Because in the new creation, we clearly see a depiction of who God is, that this is God in man. Are we together? Of course, of the truth, we first see it in Jesus. But then as a reason of the spirit given to man, we can now see the new creation today. And as a reason of the new creation, see how great God is. And lift our hands in adoration and say, Oh God, oh Lord our God, how excellent your name is. How excellent your name in all the earth. Hallelujah. Little wonder James said, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Comes down from the Father of light, with whom is no variableness, no shadow of turning. And in speaking of the good and perfect gifts, he talks about the new creation. He says, of his own will begat he us by the word of his truth, that we should be a kind of first fruit of his creature. So when we look at the magnificence of the seas, we look at how great the sun is, how beautiful the stars are, how mighty, you know, the roaring thunder and so on and so forth. How mighty those things are. There is one thing that surpasses them in glory and in beauty and in definition. It's the man in Christ, the new creation, the one in whom is the Holy Ghost. It's you. It's you. <laughs> it's you. It's you. You are the greatest of all of God's creation, the most perfect of his creation. God looks at you and he's amused. He looks at you and he's like, wow. 
Little wonder Paul said in Ephesians 2 and verse 10, we are the workmanship of God created unto Christ Jesus. I told you before, the word workmanship there is the word poema. It means we are, we, are the, we are the evidence, the expression of his expertise. Meaning every time when God sees you, we see in you the evidence that God is sovereign. We see in you the evidence that God is spectacular. We see you and we say, whoever created you, the new creation, has to be someone whose intelligence is beyond understanding. That's what the new creation is. That's what the new... So every time when you see Exodus 20, let, let something in you live for joy. Because God has decided that in man like you, men will see that he exists and lift their hands to God and give praise. Hallelujah. So he has shown that you are actually greater than the sun. You are greater than the moon and you are greater than the stars. You are greater than the sea and you are greater than the thunders. You are his son, the new creation that men can see and know the truth know. It's not interesting that now the same God who says here that don't see, you know, don't create images of this and this and this and worship me, all right? He now says his son or him as a man, Jesus, comes to the scene. And then Jesus now says, he says, um, you are the light of the world, all right? He says, let your... Um, <clears throat> Let your works towards men be good, so that they may see your good works. Sorry, let your light so shine before men that they will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So, on one hand, he's telling you, I don't want you to look to the suns and the stars and the moon. And then because of that, all right, lift up your hands to me and, you know, and create images of them and worship. But then, rather, he says, as a reason of your works, men will lift up holy hands to me. Men will lift up holy hands to me. So, he wants to be represented by you. He wants men to see you and say, there is a God. That is the new creation. That is the new creation. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. That's by the way. Let's continue. Glory to God. Huh? Glory to God. That's the new creation. That's, new cre That's who I am. Men see me and give thanks to God. Men see me. Angels see me and leap for joy. Leap for joy. Little wonder there is joy in heaven for every sinner that becomes saved. It makes sense now. It makes sense now why they'll be joyous. Because now, once again, there is a representation to the world of who God is. That's why they are, that, you know, that's why they see it and they're in adoration. They're in awe. Bible says even angels desire to look into these things. No wonder they desire to look into it. Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? Because now, this is another man who represents to the world that God exists. This is another man, another expression of the sovereign God. No wonder. No wonder. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. So, that being said, thank you, Lord, for utterance. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Now, that being said, we see that the first set of things that he speaks about, all right, in Exodus 20, all right, in Exodus 20, the first set of things he speaks about are things towards God. And you see that things towards God. And then he continues. So Jesus already says, You shall love the Lord thy God with all thy soul, with all thy mind, you know, um, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy heart. So, and he talks about love towards God. And that's the first set of things we see in Exodus 20. And then moving down in Exodus 20 from verse 12, he now says, Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbors. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Are we together? You shall not covet. So, in, so the first set of things you do are things towards God, and then the other things you now do are things towards men. So can you now see why it says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then the second that is like unto it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so that 
That's the reason why Jesus summarized everything as that. Okay. But then what I was trying to drive out is this, is that, see, in him saying you love God, your evidence, so Exodus 20 is an explanation of what Jesus said when he says you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And what does this mean? This means that in our understanding of loving God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind, our understanding must stem from this. Our love to God is honor for him. That's it. And our love to God is seen in our ability to see him as God. In our ability to not esteem or better still, not commit idolatry. Because that's what we see here. Don't take the name of the Lord in vain. Remember, now, let me, ah, I wish I had time to really explain all of this as one, one after the other, but let's just continue. So you see him, for example, talk about idolatry. He says, don't bow down. You don't bow down yourself to another God aside me. Idolatry still. And then you might wonder and say, ah, idolatry, I don't worship well. I don't worship Shango. I don't worship Oshun. I don't worship Oya. Listen to me. Anything you create or anything that exists in yourself or in your life that takes the place of God is an idol. Is that simple? Do you understand me? It's that simple. And so it is, when I say anything, I mean anything. Do you understand me? It could be your job. It could be your relationship. It could be your family. It could be your child. Whatever it is that you take that begins to battle for the place of God in your life is your idol. It's that simple. Do you understand? I don't want to say too much about it because I know I already did some discussions around that last week. But let's continue. He then says also, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. All right. You shall, so what does he mean by you not take the name? Now, the name of the Lord means the authority of the Lord. You don't take the authority of the Lord in vain. Do you understand me? You don't, you don't, you, you must be in awe of his authority. Do you, it's not, it's not just about the name of God. It's not just about saying, don't just say God anyhow. That's not the point. Do you understand? It's about irreverence in your heart about the authority of God. When you see it, when, 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 when those words, God, come out of your mouth, something in you must tremble. Do you understand? It must carry a weight to you. It must carry a weight from within you. You don't, he's not, he's not your mate. He's not your friend. Do you understand? He's your father because he chose to be your father. Do you understand? He's not your father because he had something to gain from you, to gain from, you know, you know, you know, bringing you close. No. He's your father because he chose to do so. He could have been your God and nothing would have. I hope you realize even till date, he is God to many, but father to some. He's father to believers, but God to all. Uh, do you understand my point? And so the reality of it is this, is that, you know, he still remains God. He's father, but he's still God. Do you understand it? So the, that he's your father doesn't change the fact that he's God. And so that reverence is still there. He's God. But look at something that he says, and I, I really wish I had time to explain this. He says, remember the Sabbath days to keep it holy. All right? Now, as I've thought this again and again, people think making keeping something holy is don't do bad things, and you know, you know, and the idea of it is we have something white and clean and stuff like that. That's not the meaning of keeping things holy. The word holy means sacred. All right, to revere, to revere something, to to see it as hallowed. All right, holy literally means to separate something onto to separate onto something specific. So when he says, "Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy," is not about is not about not doing bad things on the Sabbath day. It is actually about using the Sabbath day for something. Using the Sabbath day as a day of remembrance of that which the Lord has done. And that's why it says, on that, and that's why according to the Lord, don't do any work on that day. Let it be a day that is reverential to God. Now, notice something about the Sabbath day. If you read in the laws, there is actually something that is meant to be done on the Sabbath day. Actually, there is a sacrifice to be done. There is an eating. There is a way people are meant to eat on the Sabbath day. So the, the point of the Sabbath day is not, is not don't do anything. It is 
Let that which you do be, be what is of total reverence to God. Are we together, guys? Now, let me just explain some things. Now, if you, were to, if you were to read the book of Hebrews, and I wish I had time to explain it, you realize that the Sabbath is actually a figurative expression, or it's a figure of the rest that is in Christ Jesus, of the rest from works that we receive in salvation. So when he says, remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy, to the new creation, that means be constantly conscious of the work of redemption and let it have a halo in your heart. Because for the new creation, Sabbath is not a day. Sabbath is every day we walk in, from the day you got saved. Because now, as a reason of your salvation, you've come into rest. So Sabbath for the new creation is not a day of the week. Sabbath for the new creation is not Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. That's not Sabbath. Sabbath is every perpetual day we week. Sabbath is every day from the point we receive the work of salvation. From that day, we cease from works. Are we together? From that day, we have received the salvation and justification in Christ Jesus. We no longer have a point to prove to God. All the points had been proved in Jesus by his work from the cross to the throne. We now receive that work. All right. We are now in rest. We are now in Sabbath. And then it tells you, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. How do you remember the Sabbath day? You constantly in your mind reaffirm the work of salvation. You constantly in your mind reaffirm that you are justified in Christ Jesus. You constantly in your mind reaffirm the fact that God has done the work. And you constantly walk in the confidence of the same. That is what he says when he says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So listen, whenever we come around together like this to learn God's word, you know what we are doing? We are remembering the Sabbath day. And as we, in our hearts, revere, as we once again in our hearts, remind ourselves of that which the Lord has done. And in all, respond to it. Guess what we are doing? We are keeping the Sabbath day holy. Glory to Jesus. So guess what? So, you know, now you will realize why I'm just going to touch on this. When people say things like, um, the law is, we don't, um, say, the Old Testament is past. We don't look at the Old Testament. Well, I mean, even if, if you listen to my teaching on KBC, KBC last year, you know that you can't use that statement just anyhow. The Old Testament is gone. Now we are in the area of the New Testament. Don't pay attention to anything written in the Old Testament. Mm-mm, that's not true. That's not true. Guess why? Because we still remember the Sabbath day we are keeping it holy. In fact, guess why? Because everything that we were told not to do, everything that Moses said not to do in the Ten Commandments up until date is still valid. It is. It is. And something I've always said to you guys to just get you thinking. Bible says we are, <clears throat> Bible says that we have been delivered from the cause of the law. All right. Because Christ was made cause for us. Because cause is everyone who is hung on a tree. All right. And so Jesus' death upon the cross. Well, first of all, it wasn't even for Gentiles. It was for Jews because they were the ones who were under the curse of the law. But then that being said, Jesus' death on the cross was to save men from the curse of the law. So meaning Jesus' death on the cross was to abolish that in the law which had a curse. So you would be wrong, or better still, you would not entirely be right if you were to put the Ten Commandments in the same place with the laws. Why? Because in the Ten Commandments, there is no curse. There is no punishment. Do you realize it? As you read through the entirety of the Ten Commandments, you find out that there was not written a single punishment for anyone who does not do those things written therein. Compared to the rest of the laws where you hear, if you do this, you do this. If you use this, you take this. If you do this, you do this. If you do this. So what that would mean is if of a truth, Jesus Christ came and abolished the laws, the laws that had curses, it would mean he did not abolish the Ten Commandments. Now, for some of us, that just scattered our entire theology. Because for some of us, the way we used to say it is, if anybody should quote anything from the Old Testament, it's a, it's a right. 
it, it, it doesn't stand anymore. Uh, don't be quick to say those things. Calm down. Know what you are saying. Because the reality of it is this, is that Jesus actually quoted. And Jesus did not just quote it as per his quoting. Jesus quoted it as per he expected you to do it. He says, you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And you will love your neighbor as yourself. That is, the, that is where all the law and all the prophets hang. And we've clearly seen that the explanation of that is Exodus 20, from verse 3 to 17. And it still stands till date. Because as of today, covetousness is still a sin. As of today. In fact, Paul quotes, you, you will... You will honor your father and your mother. He quotes it. And in fact, he said it, he quoted it with the punishment. He says that you may live long. Do you understand? He quoted it the way it was, that you may live long. Are uh, we together? You know, if you are to read Exodus 23 to 17, it's almost not any different from reading Ephesians 6. Because just like in Exodus, just like in Ephesians 6, oh sorry, just like in Exodus 20, there is also no cause in Ephesians 6. So he's literally giving instructions. That's it. Do you understand? Do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. No cause. Exodus, Exodus 20, Ephesians 6. Do this, don't do this. Why? That's another discussion later. Just just take that one to just do some thinking. Hallelujah. Let's continue. So what I've shown you so far, and for folks who did not really understand what I said, chances are you are the new folks among us. It's okay. As time goes on, you understand better what I was trying to say. But I'm sure that folks have been around for a while you know some of my folks would understand what i was trying to explain so then that being said let's continue so so clearly when you say that you love god your love for god is reverence to him your love for god is not in your ability to shed tears when the song is up now while of course as i said before there must be recesses of your emotions that only god can touch for example for someone like me i don't cry i i don't i don't cry but i can cry for god though i can Prayer or song, I will I will just roll on the ground and start crying. There's no distance. Do you understand my point? So there must be certain resources of your emotions that only God can touch. And now this doesn't mean that for some of us who normally cry easily, it doesn't mean if because if you cry normally, then is it's not a big deal if you are crying for the Lord because normally you always cry. That's not the point here. But what we are saying is this: is that there must be resources of your emotion that God can touch. When He says you love the Lord with all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your heart, listen to me. I say this thing because some of you can be saying, Ah, what kind of this is this? But let if we are being honest, if you can decide if because of heartbreak you lose you lose your weight because you are not eating well, you have no excuse for fasting. You actually don't have excuse because clearly your problem is not that you cannot stay away from food, it's just that you've not seen what is strong enough to keep your appetite away. Clearly, it's not impossible for you to work against your appetite, it's not impossible. It's not like you have, it's not like your appetite is so great. It has so much hold on you. It's just because you've not seen something strong enough to keep you away from your appetite. So can you see? So, you know, <laughs> yeah, you, you are without excuse. Without excuse. And yeah, now this does not mean that if you're not going through a break and you know it, you should not tell me because you feel like the next fast thing we will do, I'll be like, ah, but you know, uh, you, you know it's to eat before now, so you don't have choice. Well, it's what it is. Amen. Let's continue. So <clears throat> that being said, you know, let's move on. So the reason I was saying all of this thing is to say this is that listen, when it comes to being led of God, if you truly say you love God, all right, it will show in your decisions. Listen to me. You you Bible says you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. All 
there is no excuse all so now if i truly love god which is honor for him it will show in my willingness to want to reach out to him first as regards decisions of my life before i take any crucial step listen you cannot claim to love god and then you're about to take a decision concerning your relationship and then you don't ask him It makes no sense. You can't do that because genuinely, you can't even do it even to your friends. Even that's to your friends, you can't do it. How much more someone you claim that holds the highest priority in your life? Listen to me. Let, me. let me tell you one way you can judge how much you revere God. If there is ever a time when you want to take a, any, any crucial decision of your life and the first thing that comes to your mind is not, I have to know whether or not this is God's plan for me. Clearly, your reverence for God is compromised. Clearly, because if you are being honest, there are certain persons when any major thing happens in your life, there are certain persons that your brain just it just comes up. I have to contact this person, this person, this person, this person. Do you understand? A good number of times, at least for those who have very good rapport, your parents. Then, if you're in a relationship, your partner, at least all things being equal, you, you know, your parents, your partner, and then maybe those closest friends to you, they have to know immediately. If when you have to make a crucial decision, no matter how urgent it is, the first thing that comes to your mind is not, I need to pray about it, or I need to know what the will of God is concerning this thing. Then listen to me. Your sense of reverence and value of God is compromised. Don't, don't, th this, this is one of those places where you analyze yourself by yourself. Don't lie about it. Don't think twice about it. Do you understand? It must scare you that you were open to making a crucial decision in your life without without authentication by God. It must scare you. Do you, you must sit down and say, ah, you know, how did I get to the point where I was willing to take a crucial decision? For some, how did I get to the point where I was willing to travel outside the country and I didn't ask God? I did not even because I was expecting. Now, I, I mean, I've taught you on the leading of God's spirit that there are certain times when the, the response is not even that God will say go or come or anything. So that, the response sometimes is just there's an affirmation in your spirit. There's no struggle with it in your heart. And then you go ahead with it. And that's totally fine. Are, are you with me? So it's not like you are going because you're expecting God to actually say something. But it's just there's so much reverence in your heart. You have to. I cannot do it if. Listen, if there is so much haste around it, such that I don't have enough time to ask God, I'd rather not do it. I'd rather not. Don't worry. I've told you guys before, I told you guys of the example of that man, you know, who was Kenneth Higgins' friend, who was a business, who was a businessman, and who said, I have never lost a dime. I've never lost a dime in business. Now, you, you, you should know that's crazy. And then the man says, it's because anytime anyone brings a business plan to me, he says, I always tell them, no matter how lucrative it is, give me three days. Give me three days to pray about it. And I'm going to get back to you on the third day. And guess what? He says, if the person tells me, oh, you know, it's a business that is so, you know, right now, you know, um, the door the door for the business is closing. If you're not able to get in right now, you know, you might not be able to get in again and stuff like that. And guess what he tells them? He says, you can go. But guess what? I'm not, I'm not going to invest in this business if, I'm not, if I don't have enough time to pray about it. And that's just the reality. And that clearly, for a man who has not lost money in his business, that definitely has saved him a lot. But guess what that has also... But guess also, what, what is it? Now, a lot of times, we are okay with that story if we hear that that business doesn't thrive. But listen to me. You must also be okay with that kind of story even if the business thrives. But because you were not... Because you believed in your heart that God did not give you a go-ahead, you didn't go ahead with it. Even if the business thrives, all right, you must not... You shouldn't feel bad. Because guess what? You were willing to wait for the validity of God 
above what would have seemed like success in the natural. Now, let me tell you why this is very keen, particularly for this generation. You know, there are certain decisions that our parents take. And I'm going to talk about this because I've always been wishing I had the opportunity to say this. The same decisions our parents take, oftentimes because of their faith, that we, based on our based on our knowledge of God's word, feel like this is a wrong decision. And a lot of times it has costed them certain things in the natural. Listen to me. That you have parents, now pay attention to what I'm about to say, that you have parents who are willing to make certain sacrifices in the natural because of what they believe to be their convictions as regards their faith. And despite the sacrifices in the natural, they were willing to stay with that conviction. Listen to me. It doesn't even matter if you consider that conviction wrong as a function of knowledge. You must at least praise them for the fact that they were willing to make sacrifices based on conviction. Because that is one thing this generation lacks. I'm going to say that again. I'll give you a very good example. So you have a parent who... I'm going to use an example. You have a parent who, for example, is in ministry and then believes that God told them or God told he or she, you know, him or her that they should leave their well-paying job. Well-paying job. They should leave it and then go into ministry full-time. And then all of a sudden, things went really bad. And then because of your own knowledge, you know, you know that you don't have to leave the work of ministry. You know, you don't have to leave your natural job to do ministry. You can do both alongside. And then you even have some wisdom as regards. You can do both alongside. And then as ministry catches up over time, and then you have less time for work, you can leave work and do stuff like that. All right? Let me tell you, it must be a big deal to you. If all you see in that is you don't see the fact that you have a mother or a father or parents, because in certain cases, it's a couple that takes decision, you, that you have parents who were willing, who knew genuinely that if we take this step, we will face a huge cut or major cut in our finances. And they were willing to migrate. They were willing to take that step. Despite the sacrifice they would make in the natural, in their finances, they were willing to take that step based on their convictions, willing to sacrifice their comforts because of their convictions. Listen, it doesn't matter even if what they did, you think it is wrong because of your knowledge. Listen to me. It, it weighs more. It weighs more. And so that's the reason I was talking to one of you a while ago, and he was telling me some things about his parents and stuff and stuff like that. And I said something. I said, see, while I agree eh, that some of these things are wrong, I also said something. I said, it must also be a big concern to you if you go to meet your parents and then you go to try to explain some things to them. And what is a conviction to them? They drop it all of a sudden. Ah, it should be scary to you. It should be scary to you because you need to understand, even though you think it is wrong, it is their conviction in their service towards God. And so, if they change it all of a sudden, it means that it shows the state of reverence of their hearts to God. If some of you understand it, some fight you have with your parents will end. Because now you understand, this thing I'm telling my parents, that they are telling me, is God. You understand that? Fine, they are wrong, and I can do my best possible to explain things to them and make them understand it better and stuff like that. But if they drop it all of a sudden just because I said it, they drop it just like that, that means they don't fear God. Because if they really fear God and they believe that it was God that told them to do it, there is a way they are going to hold on to it. And listen to me, that should even gladden your heart. Why, of course, you are trying to fix the situation. It should gladden your heart that you have parents who are willing to make sacrifices based on their conviction for Jesus. Why? Because we are having less people by the day doing that. Because day by day, we keep having more young people who say, this is what God said. When things are still not so bad, say, this is what God said. And then, as things begin to change, 
God, God, God's word too begins to change. God, God looks at the situation and he says, ah, I didn't plan for this. So now this is how it should be now. So the same you who said, God said, now is not the time for a relationship. That God said, you know, God, God told you, you are in a season of preparation. A, a season of preparation, a time of awakening or a time of awaiting just to develop the God-given potentials and mantles upon your life. You know, a time to walk you through the wilderness of destiny. The same you said it two weeks ago. That now is not that that the Lord has pressed it on you that it's time for prayer. Then all of a sudden, two weeks after, season has changed. And the same you is now doing talking stage. Listen to me, you don't have the fear of God. You don't. Because what you just did there was that, that was the name of the Lord in vain. You said God said what God did not say. You don't have the fear of God in you. You don't have it. So n- let me let me tell you, in that scenario, eh, I respect the more men who seemingly don't have knowledge and in the in their in their ignorance decide all right to stay with certain sacrifices or certain costs all right because of their conviction for jesus i respect those men more than you who knows new creation realities because now you've taken god in vain now you know that you know it's not like the old testament you know that thunder is not going to fire you despite what you say you know that you you will shift mouth and nothing is going to happen so now that's why you are doing what you are doing but your own parents believe ah, if we do this thing that god said we should not do one of our children can go for it and while of course they are wrong to think that way guess what they are better than you because they have conviction they have conviction they have conviction so now you have to reevaluate yourself you have to evaluate your life does god matter to me as much is it why you understand this you will be scared to say God said. <laughs> oh, because you can't just be saying God said anyhow. It's not your myth. God said, God said I should do this. God said I should do this. God said I should do this. Uh-uh. You will know. That's how God is speaking. You're just speaking. Uh-uh. The same you, we've never heard you say God said. Then all of a sudden, a brother shows in the picture. And now you become a prophet to nations. All of a sudden, you're hearing everything that God is saying. Uh-uh. Parabale. Parabale. Why do we believe that God is speaking now? What has he never spoken before? But it's now that God is speaking. And the way he's speaking to you is through the same heart that you are using to have feelings for the brother. Isn't that amusing? He didn't speak to you through another person. No. He spoke to you through the same heart with which you are having feelings for someone. That is not God speaking. That is your own God speaking. Your heart has become your God. So it is speaking to you. And you are hearing the voice audibly. In fact, just like Samuel, you are saying speak for your servant here. That's what you are doing. That's what you are doing. All right. So now, if you truly rebel God, it will show in your decisions. And it won't just show, pay attention now. It won't just show in your willingness to say, God, what should I do? It will show in your willingness to do that which he tells you to do, even when it doesn't sound palatable. Because it is not enough to just say, God, what should I do? What matters more is he has said it. Here I am. And then you just go. That's what matters more. A heart of reverence, the leading of spirit. And listen, for a generation where we believe in a lot of planning, you know, pre- you know, do this this way, do this this way, do this this way. This is how this, this person, this person, this person did it. If I did do it like this and do it like this and do it like this, these are things are going to work out. And this and this and this and this and this. For a generation that prides itself in things like, I'm a self-made billionaire. Or, man, things were not easy. I did this, I did this, I did that. Now, you now have to reorient your ideology to say, I plan for my life. Oh, I do everything I can, but listen to me. My life is not my own to live. That's the truth. My life is not my own to live. First Corinthians 6, from verse 19 to 20. Know you not that you are the temple of God? You know, 
know you know that your body is a temple of his body of um, your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have God and you are not your own. He says, You have bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And oftentimes when we hear glorify God in your body, what comes to our mind is don't fornicate, don't lie, don't steal. But when he says glorify God in your body, listen, the ultimate way you can give glory to God is that God directs where your body goes. Ah, do you understand the ultimate? The ultimate glory you can ever give God is not just, it's not a momentary thing. It's not, oh, right now, I was supposed to lie, but I did not lie. Right now, I was about to steal, but I did not steal. Right now, I was about to commit adultery, but I did not. The ultimate way you can reveal God in your body is to determine by God the future of that body. To say that everything this body will ever do will be a function of what God says. Now, that is how to glorify God in your body. Are you with me? He says, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God. It's already God. So now you you so now you say it with your full chest. Where do you see yourself in the next five years? Well, I have certain plans, but genuinely I don't know. Wherever God leads me, I'm going. That's it. Wherever God leads me, I'm going. Where do you yourself in the next three years? Sir, you know, I always tell people this jokingly. Where do you see yourself in the next three years? Don't let me lie to you. Even where I am right now, right now, I did not see myself here as a last year. So don't let me waste our time. There's no need. Why? The only thing I can promise you is that in the next three years, I'll be found doing God's will. That's all I can promise you. That's it. That I will be found at the center of God's plan. But that's all. Everything else, there's nothing I can tell you. All the details, I don't know. Do you I can tell you maybe a couple of things that based on the things that God has shown me in the past, do you I can say this and say that the ones that I'm, let, I'm allowed to say i can say it but to tell you ah this way i'm going to be based on this i cannot tell you because even forget spirit of god just by natural circumstances nobody knows just how much more a man whose life is sold out to the gospel he doesn't know do you understand he's a soldier you can wake up tomorrow and deploy to afghanistan guess what you pack your bags and you go simple and that's the honest truth <laughs> that's the honest truth so there's no cosipekini do you understand i'm I'm a, I'm a dead man on two legs. No personal ambitions anymore. Wherever he leads me, I go. And that's something that believers in this generation need to understand. That's what we need to understand. So now, where I go to is not a function of the most economic prospering place, even though that's not bad. Where I go to is not a function of, you know, where it's very comfortable for my family, even though that's not bad. Even though, I mean, by all means, you, you, you want to be a good father, you want to be a good mother. So by all means, plan for your family and stuff like that. But listen to me, at the end of the day, what matters the most? See, hey God, I'm going to say this one soon. Listen, do not listen. You, the children that you have, eh, is God that gave them to you. While it is nice that you are being a good father, it's cute. Listen to me. You can't care for them more than God does. Your that's why your excuse for not doing that which God called you to do cannot be. Oh, my children now. Now, understand the balance of what I'm saying. I Now, notice I have not said don't plan. I'm, I'm going to be the last person I've ever tell you not to plan because I plan. But what I'm telling you is this. There will be nothing in the natural that is as important as a reason for you not to do that which God told you to do. Nothing. Nothing. Not even the things that God gave you. Because you must recognize it as that. While, you while it is very important that you provide for your family, and in fact, Scripture says, he who doesn't do that is worse than an infidel. The reality of it is this. Don't use them. Don't use what God gave you now as a reason to not do that which he has told you to do. So of the truth, he gave, you have children. But remember, he gave them to you. 
So it's cute that you're doing your best possible to provide for them. It's cute that your reason is, ah, how will they fit? Fine. It is a legitimate concern. And you should actually plan for it and think about it. But listen, it will never be a reason good enough for God who created you and who gave you those kids to send you to do something and then you don't do it. There will never be an excuse good enough. They won't. They won't. So these are sermons that they are hard to hear. They have to hear. So, because now you have to begin to reevaluate your priorities. You have to begin to reestablish it. You have to begin to think again and again. Say, God. Because so, some things are sweet when you are hearing the aftermath. But they're not always sweet in the, this thing. When you hear a man who was a senior lecturer, drops his job, leaves, I mean, which was at that point in time, one of the best paying jobs in that kind of time, in, in that time, a senior lecturer at the University of Lagos he lives there, goes to a village, and says, God called him into full time ministry. He's sweet now because you are seeing him all around the world. But imagine what would have been, and don't forget, he had children then. You know, that you might be looking at him and say, This is a very responsible father. And he's, uh, he said, Just to call, not call and sing. Eh? This is a very, there's nothing you can tell me. This one is very, very responsible. This one is not serious. Can you see your life? Look at you. Do you understand? Imagine if his reason then to us, imagine if his reason for not doing to us, ah, God understands I have children. I can't make them go through this thing. Because listen to me also, don't let me lie to you. They went through it though. They did. And, and let me now also say this, because I know I thought this during the leading of the Spirit, that things that he loves better now is not proof, is not the proof that God told him to do it. Are you with me? That's not the proof. The proof that God told him to do it was that God told him to do it. That's all the proof. Are you with me? So the reason I say that is that if so, even if as at years later things were still not so good, are we together? It won't be the reason for us to say, hey, we knew God didn't tell him. Doesn't mean God didn't tell him. Are we together? The proof of obedience is obedience. Listen to me. There are people whose obedience we will never know about until we meet Jesus in glory. I'm telling you, there are people who would have believed on the earth that their decisions were very stupid. Until when we get to the judgment seat of God and we see God said, well done, oh good and faithful servant. Then we put our hands on our head and say, yeah, yeah, yeah. God actually told this person to do this thing. Because guess what? Man does not think as God thinks. To the prophet, Eliab is king because, I mean, everything about him is perfect. Look at this, look at that, look at this. But see, God does not see as man sees. Man sees the heart's word, but God sees the heart. Ha! God sees the heart. So don't, 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 don't get it wrong. Don't get it wrong. So you might see certain people and they do certain things and it looks stupid to you and stuff like that. While, of course, it must still be within the confines of God's word, all right? But the reality of it is this too, is that if God told them to do it, God told them to do it. And the results in the end does not validate or invalidate, at least the results in the natural, in the end does not validate or invalidate the fact that God told them to do it. Hallelujah. So now, honor God in your hearts. Reverence for him. Reverence. Galatians 2 and verse 20. I'm crucified with Christ Jesus. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Hallelujah. He loved me. So now my life is no longer my own. My life is not my own. To you I belong. I give myself to you. So Father, wherever you lead me, I go. Wherever. Wherever. Wherever you send me to go, I go. Now I no longer live for myself. I have plans for myself. You know, I want to live a good life. I do this, I do that. I try my best possible to work and I trust I'm going to meet my needs. But listen, my life is not my own. My life is not my own. 
Ah, my life is not my own. My life, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. My life is not my own. My life is not. If you send me here, I go. I have no, I have no personal ambition. I have no, ah, there was something that Pastor Shegonoika said that blew my mind. I remember, I, I can, if I, to tell you how powerful what he said was, I can remember the exact place I was in Fudge when I heard that thing in my earpiece. He says, you never really know that you serve God until your plans, your ambitions, and your service to God come at a clash. When, that point when that C-junction, the cross, that is when you will really know what you stand for. When your ambitions, your plans, and your service to God, all of them clash. Whatever you choose at that point in time shows who, who truly is God in your life. There is no faithful service without a cost. None. I'm probably going to teach about that some other time. I think I've talked, talked, I've talked a little about it at some point. There is no faithful to service to God that will not come. You, you will have a cost to pay. Do you understand? Our costs may differ. In the natural, some costs may seem bigger for some people than some others. But listen to me, we will always have costs to pay. And those points in our lives are major pointers in destiny. Listen, while of the truth, God is a God of God is a God of restoration and he can restore years. But listen to me, there are certain things where after you lose it, ah, it takes grace and mercy to get it back. That's the honest truth. That, that's the honest truth. If, for example, at, the, at, at, at Gethsemane, when you pray, that the, you know, if it is possible, let this cup pass over you. And then you get to a point, you say, Whoa, me shame you need no lee. And then you walk away. Of a truth only, we understand. But ah, you may never know. You may never know. You may never know. And so, just like Judas, you know, you, you are playing around these things, small, small. We are seeing with the Pharisees today. Hey, Judas, what are you discussing with them? And at some point, you get you get you get so deep into it. At some point, you sell Jesus for 30 shekels of silver. Now there's no going back. Are you with me? There's no going back anymore. So now you, you hang yourself. And you were supposed to have a share in the apostolic ministry. Now loses your life. And that is the end of it. Can you see? Can you see? So it, it, it will take... There are certain things, don't let me lie to you. You cannot get it back. You can't. What do you think God is? It's not your mate. Oh, I will do what I want to do now. And then when I grow older, I will, I will fa- you think you're the first person that said that? You think so? You're not the first. And you won't be the last. And plus, what do you think God is? So God will wait for you for the things he wants to do on the earth. Are you with me? He's going to wait. Uh-huh. Only plans, Lotor. Let me give him some time. So let him do what he wants to do. Then by the time he has money, because I don't have enough, he will go and make enough so that we cannot do the work. So could make any sense at all. Doesn't. Doesn't. My life is not my own. Wherever it leads me, I go. That's it. Because there's no, I have plans, I have ambitions and so forth, but none of these things matter more than my service to God. None of these things matter. So if he says, today, there's no, there's no, this thing, he says, um, it's Kafansha, tomorrow, Kafansha, Somalia, Somalia, there's no discussion. Wherever he leads me, I go. Comfortable or uncomfortable. Wherever he leads me, I go. Wherever he leads me, I go. And this is the reason I, I already, you know, if, if you see how our teachings are lined up in Kerizal ministry, you will see a level of intentionality and prophetic alignment. Because one of the things I thought very importantly, you know, while I was teaching the leading of the Spirit is, you must rid yourself of this desire to have your friends look at you a certain way. I no longer care what you think. Uh, everybody's driving cars. Everybody's traveling out. I know. 
you you are the one you know in one place even car otini owo boss go oni okada lo nbe kiri you understand and then you now see one friend of yours that is driving a car unless you are a liar you you can't see somebody inside car and you are riding bike and you won't think you understand at least something will drop in your heart particularly when this person that is driving the car is this person that during exam in those days he used to try to copy you just that he was calling you pastor and in fact that <laughs> to not make things worse on the day when you see him driving and uh, driving car and you are carrying bike you are just coming from evangelism just that and you are carrying bible as always in fact maybe maybe you know the evangelism was nice it was a good day you understand? so you are pumped up ah nations are getting covered so on and so forth. and then you see you know yusuf in uh in car and then as usual because what yusuf remembers you with his pastor he doesn't remember your name i said ah, pastor pastor and then you are you know look around and then you know yusuf just flags you down yeah pastor after everything you know even at that point in time you all go in this okay as evangelism the timbo you know you just say you know i was just around and then in fact yusuf might even say ah wow pastor ah even this your bible is still here with you wow you know, and then you say, ah, it's fine. And then, you know, you go exchange prisoners. You find that you should just go back from, just go back into the country. And you can face it. That street is the evangelism. Unless there is not something in you, something inside you will prick you. Ah, ah, ah. Come on now. You may not need life to me now. Ah, ah. You know that one and then at that point in time, offense can come. But listen to me. The best thing for you as you are living there is for Jesus is what it is. So I, I read myself. Listen, unless until when you are able to tell Yusuf in his car and tell him, Alpha, what church do you attend? I come to my church now. Come around now. You know, Shelly. You understand? In fact, you tell him, I'm going down. My house is down there. I can even enter your car. You drive me there. Do you understand? Until when you can get to that point when there's no shame. It's for Jesus. It's worth it. Guys, until when we get to that point. We've never truly understood what the Lordship of Jesus is. He commands our utmost desires. It matters to us what he says than what any other man says. Unless we get there, we've not understood it yet. The Lordship of Jesus. He is my Lord. He's my, he is my God. He commands my utmost desires. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. Now let's just move into you know, the next um, um, outline. And hopefully I'll, I'll, I'll finish up on that and everything else we have to say next week. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 from verse 1 to 11. Please open your Bible. 2 Corinthians 2 from verse 1 to 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 from verse 1 to 11. Bale potro diga vene me kosu su vene triati vene ka pali ashta. 2 Corinthians 2 from verse 1 to 11. 2 Corinthians 2 from verse 1 to 11. You know, one, one direction that I've, I've, I've noticed by, by supernatural utterance that this teaching has always gone to is towards reverence for God. And interestingly, I did not really plan to emphasize on this, but I've noticed over the couple of weeks, one thing that has been reiterated again and again is the reverence for God. And I just want to say that, you know, pay attention to that prophetic inclination. I believe very strongly that it's one of the things that this generation needs very greatly. We have lost our reverence for, for God and for spiritual things. Honor must once again be re-emphasized. There are certain things that are sacred. Are you with me? There are certain things that are sacred. While supernatural things are the norm for the believer, they are still sacred. And we must handle them as such. There are certain things that we must speak of with awe. When we speak of the plans of God that he has showed us in place of prayer, you don't speak of those things anyhow. You don't just say them to just anybody. You keep those things, you guard them in your heart with reverence and fear. And when you say those things, there must be, there must be a 
holy reverence that burns within you as you let those words out of your mouth. Do you understand me? So a reverence and awe for the things of God must once again be reignited in our hearts. Once again. All right. So look at 2 Corinthians 2 from verse 1 to 11. I'm just going to read through. He says, but I determined this with myself, that I would not come again to you in heaviness. He says, for if I make you sorry, who is he then that maketh me glad? But the same which is made sorry by me. And I wrote this same unto you, lest when I come, I should have sorrow from them, of whom I thought to rejoice, having confi confidence in all of you, that my joy is the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote unto you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. But if any have caused grief, he has not grieved me, but in part that I may not overcharge you all. It is sufficient to such a man is this punishment, which was inflicted of many. It is so that contrary wise, you ought to rather forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. He says, Wherefore I beseech you that you would confirm your love toward him. For to this end also did I write that I might know the proof of you, whether ye be obedient in all things. To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgive anything, to whom I forgive it for your sakes, forgive I it in the person of Christ. He says, Lest Satan should get an advantage of us. For we are not ignorant of his devices. Now, as I've often told you guys before, one of the greatest strategies of the devil is his ability to hide in plain sight, to wreak havoc. All right, again and again. So now, in this scenario above, all right, what we see here, or in this scenario, I just with this verse we just read, what we see here is a brother who was caught was caught in a misconduct. So it, the, the the context of it is from First Corinthians five, all right, where there was a brother who was openly committing adultery, and now you know he was bold about it, and so Paul says, you know what, excommunicating excommunicating from the church, deliver him over to Satan, and that's really what deliver to Satan means. But we're going to probably touch on it some time. All right. It says, deliver him over to Satan. And then, you know, and to excommunicate him. And then Paul says something now in 2 Corinthians 2. He says, sufficient to that man is that punishment. You've done it of a truth. And this shows it also something which I'm going to talk about. Listen. Now, imagine that in that church where Paul said, deliver this brother to Satan, excommunicate him from among you. All right. So in your services, when he comes around, you know, let him sit down here. Do you understand? Don't go to his house. Don't the way normally everybody will go to their houses and eat together. Don't go to his house. If he wants to come to your house, tell him he should not come around. And now let me just say that this punishment was only given because he was unrepentant. So this is not for a brother who did something wrong and then confesses about it and then repents. Now that's a different thing. But this is a brother who was constantly doing it. He had been spoken to, he wasn't changing. Do you understand? So now an extreme measure was needed excommunicate him. Do you understand? Separate him from everybody. Now, let me say something very important. Sure, you know, that's not the time to not be doing devil's advocates. Because there are some of us that try to be more intelligent than the leaders of the church. Where we now say, ah, you now, you now look at the brother as he's separate from everybody. You look at him and say, ah, he's not the church of God is supposed to be. He's not the church of God is supposed to be. You now, meet, you now meet the brother at the back. Maybe you, you send him a text message later so because you are caring. You now send him a text message and say, ah, I really saw what happened in church today. And you, you, you now say something like that, well, only God truly knows. Something like that. Can you see, you are, you are not smart. You, you think you are. You think you are intelligent, but you are not. The devil is using you too. Because that, that measure or that punishment being given to that brother is what he actually needs. 
So you you think you are the one working in law, but you are being used of the devil. Don't don't cause disorder. If the pastor says this is what is to be done, follow. And that is something that maybe we are still going to talk about at some point. See, while you know me, I'm I am one of the biggest proponents of teaching believers to think for themselves. I, I always, if I show in how I teach, all right. However, let me say this very clearly. In certain circles where God places a man over that place, you must recognize the authority by which God places that man there, such that he says this. Listen to me. It will not matter even if sometimes he is in the wrong. It is not in your place to talk. Because now, he is your younger brother, just like Moses. And then he tells you, you are not supposed to marry from another tribe. But he picks an Ethiopian wife. And genuinely, he is wrong according to the law he gives. But guess what? If you talk, you are a leper. Are you with me? So now you say, ah, is it the only one that is it the only one that God can speak through? And God says, beautiful. Just this is this is absolutely spoofic. This is just amazing. So God tells God, then God says, So when I talk to him, him here is Moses. When I talk to Moses, Bible says I speak to him face to face. He says, which among you do I speak to face to face? Even this judgment I'm about to give right now, I'm talking to you through a pillar of cloud, through a pillar of cloud. But this man, I speak to him face to face. And then for whatever reason, you had the audacity to speak to him. Ah, if you learn this thing, it will help your life. There are certain kinds of judgment that is not in your place to give. Understand your jurisdiction. So if the pastor says, Don't do this, is what is to be done, don't go and be proving that you understand biblical exegesis and you now want to do something different. Don't do it. That is the devil using you. Amen? That is the devil using you. And uh, I feel like this, this, what I was going to talk, touch now is a very touching matter, so I'm not going to talk about it. Maybe some other time I'm going to talk about it a, a lot better. All right? But learn that very, very quickly. Don't be a source of disorder. Just in certain places. In fact, in certain places, there might be instructions sometimes you'll be given. As long as it doesn't directly contra- contravene the word. Sometimes you might not really understand why the pastor said this. But listen, he's the angel to that assembly. Do you understand? He's the angel to that assembly. If God doesn't want him there, he knows what he will do. God cannot be mocked. Are you with me? So don't try to take judgment into your hands. When, do you understand? When you are not, you are not the person for it. Don't, gun, don't kill yourself before your time. Because guess what? Of the truth, Moses has his own punishment too, and he'll be given punishment. But guess what? His punishment is not supposed to come from Miriam's mouth. So Miriam will be punished. Moses will still be punished though, but Miriam will receive her punishment because she spoke up against the man whom God has chosen. Maybe one of these days I will redo my teaching on honor and we'll talk about it better. Do you understand? Because on one hand, in, in order to curb the excesses of manipulation, which is oftentimes described as honor. We have now also tilted into another excess where we don't realize God's men are God's men. And a lot of the activities of God with his men are not to be intervened by other men. Are you with me? Even, let me say something, even when it is your mate in ministry, your guy, do you understand? There are certain things where you, you walk up to them in regard of the call of their life. I'm telling you, there are certain of my friends, when I talk to them, sometimes, as regarding certain matters, I talk to them as man of God, sir. Do you understand? God called you irrespective of your association with me. He called you as a man of God. So there are certain discussions where I'm going to have it with you within the jurisdiction of your office as a man of God. Not within the jurisdiction of, oh, you're my guy, you're my guy. There are certain discussions we will have where I'm referring to you as emoji, sir. 
even when it is something where I think it should be corrected in. I get that. It's not, it's not my place to now come and meet you and be telling you, this guy is supposed to do it. He didn't do this one right. You, you need to understand what we are. There are protocols. There are protocols. There is order. How things are supposed to be done. It's not in your place. You now make things worse. You now get on Twitter. You now, you now even say things like, you know, all these new generation. Ah, hey, oh. Uh, hmm. I hope you know God does not change. Of the truth, things are a lot clearer in the New Testament. But listen to me, God does not change. He does not. And let me tell you the honest truth. I've told you this before. That something is wrong does not mean it cannot happen again. That something is wrong does not mean it did not happen. And that something is wrong does not mean it cannot happen again. Of the truth, the 42 bears that came out, and, the bears, sorry, the two bears that came out and killed 42 children through Elisha was a wrong thing to do. But it happened and they died. And those really are not alive today to do exegesis of it. Or at least, they were not old enough to know that what, they, what the prophets did was wrong, but they died. So use your brain to know. <laughs> so that they will not use you to be doing exegesis of was that right or was that not right. And another sense of cannot sit down in Bible study now and be arguing, was what Peter did right or was it not right? They died. It's, not, it's the person that is alive that we can be correcting. A word is enough for the wise. Use your brain. Amen. Time is long gone, so we cannot cover the things that we have to cover all right but i'm just going to you know end on this note. what i was trying to drive at is this so now look at what happened here with this guy this guy was you know <clears throat> he was in blatant unrepentance as regards you know fornication all right sorry or in this case i think it's adultery not fornication you don't really know the difference between them all right now he tells now he tells you paul tells them excommunicate this brother from the church don't let him company with you guys and stuff like that now they do that they excommunicate him Right, there's communicating now. He begins to feel sorrowful, he's feeling bad now. Now, Paul now comes back on the scene and says, Listen, I know I'm the one that told you to excommunicate this brother, but he has had enough sorrow. This punishment is enough. Bring him back to you guys. Lest he says, For we are not ignorant of the vices of the devil. Listen to me. So, listen, what Paul is saying is a, a sentence or an instruction which was number one given by a pastor or an apostle led by the spirit of God and which was in fact for a good motive, can be overtaken by the devil and can be used. So in as much as initially the reason we did this was because, first of all, we don't want these brothers to affect the rest of the church, right? because Paul says a little living, livingness the whole long. And at the same time, we want these brothers to know that what he did is wrong. However, no matter the fact that our motives are genuine, if we don't pay attention and are discerning enough, the devil can take a hold of this and we will lose the life of this brother. See, when you understand this, you understand how punishment should be given in the church. There are a lot of times, in a bid to curb certain excesses, we do some things and we lose out on certain people. So now, for example, the woman of God or the um, choir mistress in church gets pregnant. Of course, it's a major scandal. And a lot of times, the problem is we are more concerned in covering up the issue, all right, because of how it looks in public eye than, the, than for the restoration of the soul of this sister. So now this sister is fine. She did bad. She did wrong. And she should be corrected, and rightly so. But now, in a bid to cover face, you now stop this sister from any form of service in the church. Now, while of course it's okay, you know, take her away from leadership. That's fine. So that you know she so that she, she doesn't do what she did, you know, so that she knows that what she did is bad. Put down some disciplinary measures. I mean, but that kind of time is the time when she now it's a different thing if she's pregnant and then she's flaunting it up and down. Now that's the different thing. That's an example of this brother. But if she's pregnant, she's sorry about it and stuff like that. That is in fact a time when you should now load that with more church activities, load that with more Bible study and prayer. Are you with me? Load that with things that will renew our mind. Give her close marking. That's the time. 
That's the time. But a lot of times we are more concerned about how it's going to look. And trust me, this thing is easier to say than to do. Because when you're a pastor who you've labored, you've done your best possible to avoid scandals and so on and so forth, and then one of the closest persons to you is the source of the scandal, ah, it will break your heart. But see, at the end of the day, listen to me, it must matter to us more what God thinks than what the world thinks. So of the truth, people can look at it and say, ah, now wow. So it means if for this your church, this kind of thing will happen. It may not get in so in what was I in require more. I know that something like this is going to happen. It must matter to you more the restoration of the soul of that choir mistress than what people have to say. That must matter to you more. So now you now tell so so now in that particular scenario, how can we restore the soul of this sister? So Paul is telling you, despite the fact that I was the one who told you to do this thing, despite the fact that I was the one who meted out this punishment, and you guys did it, listen to me, draw this brother back because we are not ignorant of the vices of the devil. So even though this is a punishment that I told you to do, led by the Spirit of God, and in fact you were in obedience or according to God's word, the reality of it is this, the devil can take over that particular scenario and make us lose the soul of this brother. Make us lose the soul of this brother. So now you have to begin to think because the devil's way of working, his stealth, he doesn't want you to know what he's planning. He tries to hide. So now you have to be wise. You have to think. You have to let your eyes open. So don't just let everything just be, ah, this matter as it hurts. It evicts me. You know, which kind of thing? This one. Ah, don't be too quick. Don't be too quick. And that's good for a time like this now. Elections are happening. You know, you know, you have, you know, folks who are, you know, um, um, celebrating an opposing party, stuff like that, and so on and so forth. Listen, I get it. Emotions are high. I know why you are saying the things you are saying and stuff like that. Hey, hey, learn this. We are not ignorant of the vices of the devil. Some relationships are too valuable to lose. Genuinely, I know. See, I know every explanation you possibly want to give. Ah, it shows their kind of values, the kind of things they think. And listen, those are conversations we can genuinely have. Do you understand? I have friends that you know, that, that I'm still going to sit down with them and say, like this thing you are doing could make sense to me, just solo." But listen. While we can do all of that, we must recognize there are some relationships that, to be honest, if you lose it, ah, or, <laughs> see, you will feel it in your life and ministry. You will. So other people can be doing it, but have sense. Have sense. Don't, so don't just say things rationally. Ah, cutting you off. Or oh, what? Else? Ah, calm down. We are not ignorant of the vices of the devil. Listen to me, no matter how legitimate. Are you with me? So there are certain times when it's, you are the one that is right. You are not the one that's false. But because you understand the importance of that, of that, you know, of that relationship, you cover eye. Are you with me? Sometimes it's not sorry, Shebi is a statement. Of course, it is a good one. You understand? And a lot of times that alone changes a lot of things. Are you with me? But sometimes if the person who talks sorry, close eye. There are certain situations that warrant it. There are certain matters that sometimes it's okay if it goes unresolved. Just for that particular time, let it go. There is more at stake than you are seeing. Let your eyes be vigilant. Open your eyes. See beyond the natural. Are you with me? See beyond the natural. Some things matter more. Are you with me? So don't just do things irrationally. No. We are not ignorant of the vices of the devil. Are you with me? We are not ignorant. And how does this, how does this relate to yielding to joy? Oh, it relates in every way. In every way. So now, the average person thinks, oh, ah, you know, uh, you know, we won't make jokes about it. Uh, it's our generation. Any small thing, mental health. Any small thing, I'm depressed. And while of the truth, that's true. 
Do you understand? To an extent, there's a way we bastardize the use of those words and stuff like that. But listen to me. It must also, you must begin to read between the letters and say, come. How come there is more awareness or people are shouting more about this thing than ever before? Is it that people before us did not have mental health? They did now. Why is it that it's now in our generation that mental health is worse than ever before? There is something going on. That, that, that's how a man of spirit thinks. Now, of course, it's not just being suspicious. Then you now go and pray about it. I've told you before. In fact, that was what actually led to this series. It was just in the place of prayer. I just began to see some things play out. I began to see some patterns. I said, ah, I can see the devil. <laughs> you know what that way you're praying? And it just opens up to you. You, you laugh. Ah, you are, you are done for. I can see you already. I, I can see you and I've gotten you already. You are done for. So that's what it is. So now you have to be wise. Do you understand? It just looks like, you know, everything is normal. People are just, you know, feeling depressed. Everybody is worried and so on and so forth. Listen to me. It's not today that there has been problems. And problems will not end tomorrow. And here's where it gets interesting. To let you know that sometimes these things are not... It is not even always the poorest people that are depressed. Sometimes these are people who life is actually going well for them. Have you ever heard someone say they are depressed and you're looking at them? And this is not to talk down anybody's problem, but you just look at them and you're wondering what exactly they are to be depressed about. Do you understand? But they believe they have no reason to be happy. They have every reason to die. In fact, they have every reason to take their own lives. And it makes no sense to you. That's why you should know, Kimi, this thing is not, and this is not suspicion. It takes, it takes discernment to just sit and say, ah, this is not normal. Are you with me? And let me also now say this, because it's just what I said before as I round up, that it could have even started from a legitimate means for a legitimate reason. You could have actually had a legitimate reason to feel bad. You could have had a legitimate reason to be sad. For example, your dad or your mom lose their job, or the, or the breadwinner of your family lose their job. Do you understand my point? And now, you know, you're scared, you're worried, and stuff like that. And then that worry tilts into depression. Do you understand? And goes on like that. Listen to me. You had a legitimate reason to start, but guess what? The devil has taken a hold of it. Are you with me? So that you don't think that anybody who this thing did not have a legitimate reason and stuff, and that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you could have had a legitimate reason, but it doesn't mean the devil cannot take a hold of it. But listen to what scripture says, we are not ignorant. I'm not ignorant of the vices of the devil. So now we are paying attention. Ah, this thing is not... Now, when you think this way, you understand why at that point in time, yielding to joy becomes... is not is no longer, it's no longer just a, a nice thing to do. It becomes a fight. This is the devil. You resist. Do you understand me? So now, yielding to joy in a generation like our own is not just uh, is a nice thing to do. I'm happy. I'm joyous. No. Guys, listen to me. Joy in this generation is a fight. It's a war. Are you with me? It's literally a war. So now, you take it upon yourself. Get, come what may, I will be full of joy. Ah, I wish I had more time to really teach you on this like I had in my notes. You, you must take it like it's a battle. The devil is after your joy and you must not let him get it you mustn't you mustn't so now you take it as you 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 take it upon yourself like a woman i will intentionally decide to be full of joy i'm not going to let the devil get a hold of me do you understand and this is very good now with this election that is going on do you understand so now is the time to really change your words no matter how things play out me i'm full of joy there's no fear here no concern there's no problem here nothing no problem nothing at all you are good to go do you understand no shaking in nothing ashamed. I was still talking to someone just before this teaching. The person was asking me some questions, you know, how are, are you having any concern or something like that? I said, in nothing dismayed, in nothing. And when I say nothing, I mean nothing. Not 
thing is going to happen. Doesn't matter who wins or who loses or whatever. Listen, God is on the throne, nothing, always guiding. Nothing. So I have joy. Are you with me? I've got joy. Joy in the Holy Ghost. Because the problem. There's no, this is no fear here. It's not just a mantra we say when we're on the pulpit for things to sound nice. It's because we mean it. And so now you have to intentionally be aware of yourself. You just notice for like a, an hour or two, you're not feeling good. Ask the people around me. If I notice I'm not feeling well, I'm not okay with it. I'm not feeling bubbly. The first thing I always say is, what's, what's the problem? Why, why am I not feeling good? What's the problem? Because it's not normal to me. How, how, how will I be sad? It's not normal. Do you understand? It, it's not normal. It doesn't mean that everything is going all right. But I shouldn't be feeling... I've got joy. I've got joy in the Holy Ghost. I've got, so this thing has to be fixed. Do you understand? And when I, say this, I don't mean the situation necessarily has to change immediately. But this emotion has to change. Are you with me? I need to be, begin to laugh right now, right now, right now. Because I've got joy. I've got joy. So listen to women and women of God. In this generation, joy is a fight. Joy is a war. Joy is a war strategy. Because you have... Even when you have every reason to be sad... Every reason to be depressed, every reason to be down. The moment, so the first thing is you have to be aware. Do you understand? You have to be aware. For some of you, three days, you are, you, you are feeling down. You don't do anything about it. You just say, ah, it's just because of the way everything is. No, 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 no. That is the, you take a hold of it. You don't let it go. Don't play with it at all. Don't say, well, it's just, it's just the way my mood is. It's just that time of the month. Mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm. Don't give those kind of excuses. Don't do it. Joy is a fight. Joy is a fight. Joy is a fight. And that's the reason Paul now gives instruction. He says rejoice. Rejoice. He, he, so he doesn't just let you know joy is a fruit of your spirit. As we're going to talk about that next week. Joy is not just a fruit of your spirit. He now gives you an instruction in joy. He says rejoice. Meaning, despite how... And notice he didn't give a condition. He didn't say rejoice if you are allowed to. If you are permitted to. If you are within a space where you are permitted to rejoice. He, he said it no like he said it straight. No if buts maybe it's black or white. Do you understand? Straight up as it's supposed to be. Listen to me. Rejoice again, rejoice. Meaning there will never be a situation you are in where rejoicing becomes a problem. Any situation you are in, it's possible to rejoice. Possible to rejoice. So joy is a weapon, joy is a fight. In this generation, joy is a fight. Joy is a fight. So as you live here, you get back on WhatsApp, on Twitter, on Instagram, wherever. Listen to me. I've got joy. Nothing. And it's not I've got joy, you know, trying to make yourself feel good. I've actually got joy. I'm telling you. Joy is that. Ah, my, yeah, now my, this thing is not leading. Hey, you don't they be. Feel like I say this guy no go win this thing. I've got joy. We'll see what Allah. Everything is said to. We'll see problem. Just want the throne. We'll see what Allah. Nothing. I've got joy. Got joy of the Holy Ghost. Got joy of the Holy Ghost. That's it. Got joy. Can smile. Can laugh. I can rejoice. And, not, and I'm not doing it to try to feel good when I'm not really feeling good. Mm -mm. My emotions are actually one that is full of joy. I could have been feeling sad before, but I can command my affections because Christ is raised and is at the right hand of the Father. I can now command my affections. My affections are subject to me. I can decide to be full of joy. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening. We're sure that it was an amazing time. For questions and inquiries, Reach out to us on carysoul.bb at gmail.com. We call you blessed.